My conversation today is with Jerrica Slow. Jerrica is a personal development coach who spent 20 years with the dream to be in the music industry as an artist and producer. Just as she was accepted into Drake's home studio for music production, she realized that her passion was no longer music and made the decision to actually call it quits and find what truly makes her happy. This decision sparked a huge period of depression where she was left dealing with her lack of self-worth, lack of self-belief, and lack of self-trust. After going through an intense period of personal development, she discovered that the truth behind why we experience life the way we do all lies within our subconscious mind. After personal experience from turning her life a complete 180 and the passion and drive to learn more about neuroplasticity and creating a life that we love, Jerrica has been committed to helping others use the power of their mind to cultivate the inner self-love they desire and deserve to live a life they truly desire. I saw one of Jerrica's viral TikToks about things that she no longer does because of what she knows about the neuroscience of self-love. So I reached out to her because I wanted to hear more about her story. And I'm super glad and grateful that she is on here right now. Jerrica, thank you so much for having this conversation with me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to have our little chat today. Yeah, me too. Um, so you have actually you posted a TikTok that went viral. And I know you've probably gotten a lot of people reaching out to you. I'm not a TikToker, but I was actually just curious before this, like with a video, when you get millions of views, you obviously have a ton of likes, you have a ton of comments. Do you get a lot of random like opportunities just from that one, that one video? I know you have a bunch, yes. but... Yeah. So that video went viral. And within like three days, I was asked to do two podcast interviews. I had some like inquiries about mentorship, just a lot of people in my DMs wanting to have conversations. So yeah, it definitely brings about a lot of opportunity. But I think that that also plays into factor like you're going viral for something that actually has to do with what you are niching or what you talk about or what you do I know a lot of people create like silly little videos I don't want to call them silly but they'll create videos that aren't anything to do with what they do and then it goes viral and they don't really get much from it so I think that that just really depends but for me yes I did get a lot of opportunities which I'm very grateful for (laughs) yeah oh definitely and I was just curious like that wasn't necessarily something that I wanted to dive into today I'm I'm not super familiar with TikTok and and how it all works but I was just really (laughs) curious So I know that when you were younger, your dream was to be in the music industry. And I'd love if you could tell me a little bit more about that before we get into what you're doing now. I'd love to kind of dive into what you thought you wanted to do before and when that realization really came for you and the catalyst to transitioning into what you're doing now. Yeah. So this dream of mine was a 20 year dream. Literally, like I swear I came out of the womb wanting to do music. My okay, so first off, I wanted to be a recording artist and a music producer. More so my younger years were was the recording artist. And then as I got into high school, I started to play with music production. And that's kind of where my heart started to lie. But growing up, like my mom said before I could even speak, I was humming words and writing random stuff on a piece of paper and putting them in my Hello Kitty song box is what she called it. As soon as I could pick up a guitar, I did. Uh, So I just grew up wanting to pursue music while everyone in high school was out like partying or, you know, getting to know boys. I was the one that was in my room writing music, wanting to follow my dreams. So I've been very career driven most of my life. 
yeah, I just, I had such a love for music. I wanted to, I knew, I always knew that I was made for something really big. And growing up, I thought that that was music. And then around, I think I was 19 or 20, pretty sure I was 20. Um, I was accepted into Drake's home studio for music production. Only 32 people a year get in. I felt so incredibly blessed and excited for my future. But then I, okay, so a year leading up to that, my mom started to ask me questions like, Jara, are you sure you even really want to do this anymore? Like, you're not really picking up guitars anymore. I don't hear you writing your own songs. And I was really naive to that. I was, my heart was set on music. It was my whole life. I just feel like that's all I really knew. So I didn't even think or know that there was other options out there for me. So I got defensive and I was like, no, what do you mean? Like, this is what I'm doing. And going there, I literally thought my music career was made just because of the connections that you get through that school. And it took me about five months. I think it was five months where I realized my heart really is not with music. I remember a very specific event. I was sitting in my class and I was looking around and everyone who wasn't paying attention, they were on their computer producing music and I was not paying attention while scrolling Sephora. Like I literally was like, what am I doing here right now? I'm not paying attention and it's not for something actually productive. I didn't feel any desire to be creating music in my spare time, it started to feel more like a chore studying for my classes and especially my recording class where we actually have to create music felt like a complete chore. And I just came to terms with the fact that this isn't really what I wanted to do anymore. So I had asked them to actually defer my acceptance another year just so I could take the time off to make sure that it actually was what I wanted to do was to leave that dream. And that sparked my personal development journey. It put me into a huge rut of depression. I developed chronic anxiety, felt like I had no purpose anymore. So that was really the catalyst to my personal development journey. It's not where I started to learn about the subconscious mind that came later. And I'm sure we can get into that. But yeah, that that's really my story on music. And it really, it put me into some dark moments in my life, but I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for it. So that I am grateful for. So you when you talked about how it sparked some of the mental, you know, health issues that came up, did that happen when you were still unsure of whether music was what you wanted to do or like was that in the decision or was that immediately after you made the decision and were confident in that? That was immediately after. So I had a lot of doubts coming up, obviously, for obvious reasons, spent 20 years wanting to do something and then kind of realize it's not what you want to do. It's natural that doubts are going to come up. I would say that I did struggle with anxiety before then. I would say I've been mostly an anxious kid, just given my past, like my childhood experiences and whatnot. So I wouldn't say that that decision played a factor in anxiety, but I wouldn't say that I was depressed at all before this. And I think because I spent 20 years wanting or 20 years having such a big dream that felt so purposeful coming out of that, not knowing what I wanted to do really left me feeling like I had no purpose. And I think that is what sparked the depression. Yeah, I think. And the reason why I ask is because sometimes, 
people talk about that decision-making process causing so much of the suffering, but I mean, it depends on what you're talking about. Right. And it depends on the experience, but it is so interesting that I think there's a lot of people that probably experience not maybe not necessarily to the extent to what you experienced, but feeling these shifts in what we wanted to do versus what we want to do now. And unfortunately not everybody has the courage and ability to make that shift Mm -hmm. for multiple reasons. There could be many reasons for not making that shift, despite the fact that like with your experience can still be hard, even if you know the decision and and you go forward with it. I think there's a lot of reasons for that, right? Like there's probably a huge reason would be the sunk cost, right? Our tendency to continue something, even though we know it's not good for us, but you you invested 20 years into that thing. And then on top of that feeling like, I mean, I would, I would guess you felt like you were letting some other people down, right? I felt like a really big failure. I think that was my biggest thing was I was known all throughout my entire childhood of being the music girl, quote unquote. And even in high school, I was voted best singer Um, in my yearbook. I performed at every single assembly talent show. I had a gig at a local pub. So like I felt like my identity was tied to that. And By not doing that, I felt like a failure. So I don't think for me personally, although that is definitely something that a lot of people experience is the fear of letting people down. Mine was the fear of being a failure. And when you were also given an opportunity, multiple opportunities, I'm sure, with being accepted into Drake's home studio, I'm sure that guilt would kind of come up for that too. Like not everybody has that opportunity And you definitely shouldn't feel guilty for that, but I just couldn't imagine how that would, would come up and play a role and be difficult too. For sure. And I think a lot of times too, we see ourselves as though we're this one person for our whole life. And one realization that I had a couple of years ago is that even though I know that we change over time, consciously, we know that we still might make decisions that align with our past identity, as opposed to Mm -hmm. our current or future identity even if we know and are completely aware with the fact that we change. And so I think that plays a role into it as well. And I think another, sorry, there's so many, so many factors to it, but I think our world is very hyper-specialized and it's become more of a norm to identify with what we do as, Mm -hmm. you know, that's our identity is who we are, is what we do. And that can kind of trap us into a box too, that, you know, when you get out of that box and that's why people retire the depression that kind of triggers when people go through their career and have spent their whole lives placing their identity in what they do, that can be really difficult as well. I think it's easy to analyze the reasons objectively for me right now, like thinking through some of these reasons with you, but emotionally that's a different experience. Right. And I'd, I'd love to hear whatever you're comfortable sharing. Like what are some of the other emotions maybe you felt during that time when you realized that you lost that passion? And when you took the action, when you knew kind of what you were going to do next? So I think the biggest ones for me, and maybe I'm just going to end up repeating myself, but really was the purpose, um, feeling a lack of purpose, feeling sad, lonely, lost. Um, From my personal experience, I don't have a ton of emotional support from my parents. Um, I actually don't have a relationship with them at all right now. I grew up with a narcissistic mother and I also grew up with a father who was a drug addict. So he wasn't a part of my life for 18 years. So going through an experience like that, I felt really lost and lonely because I 
felt like all I wanted was emotional support and I wasn't getting that at home. And to top it off, I was in a long-term relationship at the time and I was with someone who didn't support my goals and dreams and who was really hard on me in terms of like, I had to know what I wanted to do and it had to be something that was really successful. So while I did have his support when I was in the realm of music, I did not have his emotional support leaving and that sparked a lot of shame So I would say on top of the depression and the lack of purpose and even the heightened anxiety that I was already experiencing, definitely I felt a lot of shame and just a lot of feeling lonely and lost. What did you do from there then too? Because I just couldn't imagine going through that and with all all of those factors, like what, I guess, what's the next part of the story? Yeah, so... The next part is literally three to four years of constant battling, constant struggling. Um, And when I say battling, I mean battling with myself, um, but also battling with my external circumstances. And that was only a result of the battles that I was facing internally um, because of, you know, how the subconscious mind works. But for those three to four years, I spent so I was still in that relationship for those three to four years um the relationship in total was just over seven years just for reference and for those three to four years of struggling and battling I dabbled in a lot of different things I was really into like skincare and beauty at the time um so I started a skincare and beauty blog I what else did I do I really loved photography and writing so I started doing like product photography and I created a writing like online forum to talk about my mental health struggles and all of that so I just tried tying in a lot of my creativity into other areas and just trying to see what I could do career-wise for that because I had always known growing up especially wanting a career in such a different type of field I didn't want that nine to five life. I knew that I wanted to work for myself. I knew that I wanted to do something big, something creative. And I also at that time felt like it had to be creative because creativity was really all that I knew. So for those three to four years, I was just really dabbling in a lot of different things. And again, I was still battling because I wasn't getting any of the support that I needed. Um, And it wasn't until that relationship ended where I uh, rekindled with some old friends. And throughout that time, I was really big on, like I isolated myself a lot. So I wouldn't say that I had some some big true friendships during that time, which also definitely played a role in the loneliness and feeling lost. But it wasn't until that relationship ended where I started to cultivate that self-love and the self-awareness and that is when the big 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 part of my personal development journey came into play I started to make decisions from a place of just wholehearted love um, and wholehearted acceptance because before I was making those decisions based on what my partner was going to think of me and I, I think that for those three to four years I placed a lot of my identity on him because I didn't have my identity with music anymore. I didn't know my identity. So yeah, to answer your question, it was a really long battle, just battling with myself internally. And it wasn't until that uh, relationship ended when I started to actually make decisions for myself and, and go down the personal development journey. 
Was there an external factor or like a person or a book or a conversation that sparked that? Definitely my best friend. She was really big into spirituality and manifestation and all of that. So she was just educating me more on, and she's not like an expert in the subconscious mind or anything, but she introduced me into the idea that you get to create outcomes that you desire. And I think because that relationship ended and I was on such a journey of like getting to know myself better and figuring out what I wanted to do, I just started to dabble into more of that type of content. And that's when it really, really sparked my interest in like neuroscience and the subconscious mind. But I would say that she was definitely a big factor in that. And also at the time, I wasn't a big reader. I will admit that I like reading now, but I hated it at the time. But I was really big into podcasts. And I think that a really big one that I like is Manifestation Babe by Catherine Zankina. And I also really love Joe Dispenza, Dr. Joe Dispenza. Yeah. Joe Dispenza. (laughs) (laughs) I'm obsessed with him. I love him. I love his work. Oh, yeah, definitely. So that kind of kickstarted. And then everything that you're doing now, like with the subconscious and neuroscience, Was that mostly self-paced through the podcast and through the books? And what was that like? Yeah, so it was definitely for the first couple years self-paced. It was not something I even thought I would do a career in. And what actually sparked what I do now and then actually sparked me wanting to get accredited trainings and courses in it was I actually started a business doing brand and website design. And through those two years of doing brand and website design, I learned the importance, like a heightened importance of, because I already knew it was important, but I really, really learned how important mindset was um, running a business and how you literally cannot hit new levels of success, whether it's in business or just like in your next level version of yourself without reprogramming your subconscious mind. And I just became super in love with the concept of how our brains literally determine our reality and how we can rewire our brains from our past experiences to actually serve the life that we want to live. And that's when I started to feel a little bit of stagnation with brand and website design, just didn't feel like it was super in alignment with what I wanted to actually be doing. And I decided to jump full force into learning more about neuroscience, psychology, um, the subconscious mind, and to actually help people change their life based on that. So um, yeah, I enrolled in some accredited courses just from various universities. I would like to do like a full-on certification. I just have yet to find one that I actually feel really pulled to take. But yeah. I really want to get into understanding the subconscious because I think especially the way that you communicate, it just resonates and it's very clear. But before that, I'm curious, did you find purpose in those in-between jobs, like the website design and some of the other things that you did before? Yeah. So to kind of tie into what I was saying earlier, how I felt like I had to do something creative just because that's all I knew. I think I really, I see a purpose in my journey from brand and website design into um, what I'm doing now, because it was a stepping stone into learning more about how important your mindset is. So I don't think I would be where I am right now if it wasn't for that journey. But at the time, I really did see purpose in brand and website design because it was a creative outlet for me. And it allowed me to express myself, but it also allowed me to 
connect with other people. Um, it allowed me to start my own business, which led me into more time freedom, financial freedom, that type of thing. So definitely at the time, I absolutely did see a purpose. Um, and I did feel a lot of purpose, but it came to a point, And I believe that this happens when we are ready for new levels, um, whether it actually is an actual career change or whether it's just taking the current career or current aspect of your life, whatever it is you're referring to, to the next level. And I really just think that you can feel a lot of stagnation during those times. And that was when I started to feel a lot of stagnation, which was about two years into that business. When I started to just kind of reflect on the future of it, the purpose that I was feeling with it. And that's when I kind of realized, like, I do love brand and website design, but I, and I still do, but I see it more as a hobby rather than my, my life's purpose. I think it's hard because purpose is so, we put so much pressure on that word and it's easy to associate purpose with exactly what we're doing and who we're doing it for. But I think there's also a part of it, and I'm not an expert in, in purpose either, but I think it's also like how we're doing what we're doing, why we're and like, you don't need to have one purpose, one calling for your whole, yes. whole, whole entire life. And we put yes. so much pressure on it. And then I think because of the pressure that we put on it, it makes it even harder to find that and see that. So I really want to get into what your current purpose is, is, I mean, I'm going to call it that, um, yeah. <laughs> understanding the subconscious, understanding like neuroscience and applying that. So, I mean, for starters, how do you define the subconscious? And if you could kind of just introduce the topic in your own words. So the subconscious, I like to explain it. I really try to explain these things in ways that are really easy and simple to understand because I know that it can be a little difficult for some people to understand. So in very plain, simple terms, the subconscious mind is the holder of your identity, beliefs, habits, patterns, and behaviors. And basically the reason for the subconscious is so that your, because the brain is designed to keep you safe. That is like the number one thing you need to know about your brain. It's designed to keep you safe. So in order to keep you safe, it needs to go off of past experiences so that it can predict future events and know how to keep you safe. So it holds past experiences and more specifically from the ages of about zero to eight years old, that's when our subconscious is very easily suggestible. That's when we are taking in the ways of life. So it takes those experiences and it can also take recent past like traumatic experiences as a way of forming your beliefs about yourself, about the world around you so that it knows how to react and respond to situations in life. And the subconscious is also responsible for the actions that you take in life. And that, again, is because it is designed to keep you safe and to protect you. So if an action lies outside of your belief system, which, again, the subconscious holds your beliefs, it's going to cause you to either self-sabotage yourself away from taking the action or it's going to cause you to not take the action at all because it just wants to keep you safe. So... The reason why the subconscious is responsible for about 95% of our results is simply because it's 95% of our brain power. And it's a very simple formula. I talk about it all the time. Action equals results. You cannot achieve a result without taking action. So again, if your actions are limited to the extent of your beliefs, you are not going to take action towards the things that you really desire if it falls outside of your belief system. And another real, really big key point when it comes to the subconscious mind and just the brain in general is that the brain takes up the most energy out of 
any like bodily function in your body. So it just wants to conserve energy. And it conserves energy by looking at how you habitually behave, think, and all of that. And then it stores it so that it knows how to run on autopilot. So those I'd say are like the very big important factors when it comes to the subconscious mind. Did you learn that through your accreditations or did you learn that in the beginning and that was what really intrigued you into learning more? So I definitely learned a lot of that in depth through my accredited trainings. But when it came to just learning that the subconscious mind, it started with literally just hearing the subconscious mind creates your reality. That's what I learned through just my like playing around with little things myself, whether that was like a podcast or someone on Instagram that I found or whatnot. But it wasn't until I actually started engaging in courses and trainings where I actually learned the in-depths of the subconscious mind. And did that spark like your understanding of subconscious mind? Is that what sparked you into really learning about habits a lot more? Because habits also kind of create our lives. And Yeah, so I definitely, I always say your life is in the hands of your habits because your habits are the way that you show up and they are your behaviors and your actions. And like I said before, you can't achieve a result without taking action. So habits are probably like the biggest thing that you need to account for. Just like as an example, if you want to be super fit and healthy, but you don't develop a habit of going to the gym, you're not going to achieve that result. But again, habits are held in your subconscious mind. So it really all comes back to the subconscious mind, but habits are a big factor in that. And one of the habits that you talked about in one of your episodes of your podcast was waking up 10 minutes early and putting on your affirmation recordings, which I thought was really interesting. And I've, it's one of those things that I've heard before, but I, I never took action on actually doing it because I didn't really, I don't think I really understood the importance of it, but I think you really communicated that it is very important. Could you tell me a little bit more about that and like the theta waves of your brain and and why you implemented that habit? Yeah. So like I said, when we are from the ages of about zero to eight years old, that is when our subconscious mind is essentially like, these are the words I use, but they're wide open um, or not they're wide open. It's wide open and it's easily suggestible. And that's because during those ages, we are operating mainly in theta brainwave. So theta brainwave is the brainwave state that basically gives you access to the subconscious mind. So in simpler terms, when we get older, we are operating more so dominantly in the beta brainwave. And in order to actually reprogram your subconscious mind and to actually make those external shifts, you need to be accessing the subconscious mind. And it's something that I talk a lot about because I feel like in the online space, we hear all of these specific techniques on how to reprogram your subconscious mind, but there are things that you're not actually doing when you are operating in the theta brainwave state, which means that you're only using 5% of your brain power because, like I said, the subconscious mind takes up 95% of your brain power. So the reason why I do that habit every morning of listening to affirmation recordings first thing is because we are operating in theta brainwave as we are waking up and as we are falling asleep. It is the brainwave state that is like very deep relaxation where you're not fully alert, but you're not fully asleep. You're not in deep sleep. And when you wake up first thing in the morning and you are operating in theta brainwave, that is when you want to be doing the subconscious tools and the subconscious work because it's giving access to your subconscious mind and it's going to be more suggestible to the things you're actually feeding it. So 
my best example is like, if you are listening or if you're speaking affirmations to yourself throughout the day and it's like 2 p.m. and you just finished a really intense work meeting, you're not going like that's going to be not very suggestible into your subconscious mind because you're not operating in theta brainwave. Whereas first thing in the morning when you are still in and out of like sleep, like you're really kind of dozed off, that is when your subconscious mind is most suggestible. So that is when you should be doing the subconscious tools. And when you're asleep, are you in theta brainwave as well? You, you can come out of theta brainwave, um, but you are mostly in delta brainwave. So, because I've heard people talk about like listening to things while they sleep. And I know, I guess, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so you can listen to affirmation recordings the whole night while you are sleeping. Like that would still be beneficial um, because you are in and out of theta brainwave, right? Like, you know, when you like wake mm -hmm. up at 2 a.m. and you're kind of like awake tossing over, like you're in theta brainwave at that point. So there are definitely like you can listen to that overnight. I know some people really like subliminals. I personally don't like subliminals because I you can't hear what the affirmations are. So you don't know what's being said into your mind. It just kind of creeps me out. So I'm How not does the that biggest. Work? So I don't know how people create subliminals, but essentially the way for me to describe it is like such low volume that your subconscious mind can hear it, but your conscious mind can't. That's the way that I understand it. I don't like them again, because anyone can put a video on YouTube and tell you that it says these things, but who's to say that it actually does? So I personally don't like subliminals, but something you can do for sleep, and I wouldn't say that this is necessarily to reprogram your subconscious mind, um, but this is really great just to help you get like better sleep or even just to help raise your dominant emotional state of being is to listen to frequency music when you are sleeping. So you can listen to the delta brainwave frequencies that will help you get deeper sleep because I know a lot of people really have difficulty like getting that deep sleep so you can do things like that but in terms of like listening to affirmation recordings throughout the night that's very much so like you can do that and the frequencies purpose is because your brain matches those frequencies and matches the frequencies that are required yes. for deep sleep and yes essentially okay. yeah yeah i'm i'm still curious and i know you said you're not really interested in subliminal messaging but i'm curious what is the purpose of your conscious not being able to hear it is it what is, I actually, is the benefit in that? Yeah, I actually am not sure. I don't know too much about them just because it's not something I've wanted to dabble in. But from what I've heard from the people around me, they listen to subliminals because they can't sleep when they hear talking and stuff like mm. that. So I think a lot of people may be using it for that benefit. Um, but in terms of other benefits with subliminals, I'm not actually certain. Okay. Another thing I'd like to talk about too is your reticular activating system. I know that's part of the reason why, well, I'll have you kind of explain like, when did you learn about that and how did that impact your habits and how you live your life now too? So I started learning about the reticular activating system. I think it was through my very first business coach. She was also a certified hypnotherapist. So she was like a big expert on the subconscious mind. And she, I started hearing her talk about the reticular activating system. Without this, you would be able to hear the blood being pumped through your veins. So it filters out the things that are deemed irrelevant. But the great part, but also the difficult part is that you get to determine what is relevant and what is not. And it depends on what you put your focus on. So 
I absolutely am obsessed with showing gratitude throughout my entire day. I'm not sure if you've seen my video on it. I think I've made a couple, but essentially like I have a gratitude list in my phone notes app where every single time something happens, no matter how big or how small, I will write it down and I will show gratitude towards it. So like if I get an invite onto a podcast, I will literally write down like I'm so grateful for the opportunities that flow my way easily and effortlessly. Um, I'm so grateful I get to expand my knowledge into like more people's ears, like stuff like that. And that is because by putting my focus on the good, it activates my reticular activating system to shift the focus from negative to positive. And then I actually start to see the positive around me because my reticular activating system is essentially filtering out the negative because it's not what I'm putting focus on. Your reticular activating system is the reason why when you go to buy a new car, you start to see that car everywhere. The car was literally always there. You just didn't notice it because you weren't putting focus on it. So the RAS literally canceled it out. Was there a certain time when you started implementing the gratitude that you were like, oh my goodness, I'm starting to see the positive as opposed to what it was before? Absolutely. Um, this was actually a couple weeks ago. So I started this habit of the daily gratitude, I'd say about two and a half months ago, I think. And it was a couple weeks ago when I was going to the grocery store with my boyfriend after work. It was a Wednesday and some weird things were happening on the Monday and Tuesday that were like, it had to do with my dog. Like he kept doing these weird things that were like, quote unquote, shitty. Like I was just like, this sucks. And it wasn't until he had said on our drive home from the grocery store, like, oh my God, like this is happening. This is happening. Look how bad this is. When I actually looked at him and I said, oh my God, I didn't even process those as negative things. And I think it's because I'm putting, I'm shifting so much of my focus throughout my day on the good that I'm still aware of what's happening, but I'm not actually like internalizing it as negative. So you said that was a couple of weeks ago. You that started a couple, weeks ago, a yeah. couple months ago, just so just yeah. after that, that little bit yeah. of time. Yeah, I, I guess. Have you changed your environment as far as who you spend your time with? Has that been a conscious effort as well? Like, Yeah, so you are who you surround yourself with. Um, I'm sure you've heard that before. And I'm very, I want to say picky about the people that I put my energy into and around the people that I surround myself with. And that is simply because of my own inner peace. I, like I said, I don't have a relationship with my parents. Um, and the biggest one was having a narcissistic mother. You don't really get a lot of that inner peace. And I made the decision that um, in order to protect my peace, I guess you could say, I need to let go of the people that aren't serving my next level. I've also let go of friends who I wouldn't say on paper that they didn't support me, but they would get a little like envious or like jealous when I would talk about my wins. And I realized that that really was not serving me. Um, so I definitely am very picky about my environment. And then in terms of like physical environment, my office space has to be very inspirational to me. Otherwise, it's hard for me to like get work done. Not entirely positive, the science behind that one. But I just think that when you are surrounded by people and things that actually promote the version of you that you want to be, it's a lot easier to step into that version. What about, I mean, you're really big on social media and to an extent with that being part of what you do, it's kind of a, I don't want to call it a necessary evil, but what is your 
routine or how do you manage that? Just knowing how many things could be in your, whether it's your for you page, whether it's your, your feed, like who you follow or the time that you spend on it. Yeah. So first and foremost, I never check social media first thing in the morning. Like I said, that's when we were operating in Theta Brainwave and you don't want what you see on social media to contribute to what you are wiring into your brain. And also in terms of getting hits of dopamine, you're going to get a hit of dopamine looking at your phone first thing in the morning. And then throughout the rest of your day, you're going to feel that pull to want to continue to keep being on social media. But yes, I am very again, picky with who I follow on social media because I only want my news feeds um, and following page to be positive things, like things that I actually want to put into my brain, even if it's while I'm not in Theta Brainwave, just things that make me feel good. So I am picky about that. To be quite honest with you, I don't scroll my for you page on TikTok. I think that's a habit that I built unconsciously. I never actually consciously said to myself, like, let's not scroll your for you page. I think over time with maybe other habits I've built and just the importance of your subconscious mind and whatnot, I just kind of stopped doing that. So I'm not going to lie and say I absolutely never do. There are times where I'm scrolling the For You page maybe four videos at a time, but I do try to limit the amount of time that I spend on social media day. I have a lot of settings in my phone set where like I can only be on certain apps for a certain amount of time or after a certain time of the day, I have it blocked off where I can't use the app. Um, so I'm very picky with things like that. And then something I also want to touch on too is hate comments. <laughs> um, oh, recently, yeah. Yeah. So recently growing, um, so big on TikTok, I realized the internet is not a very nice place and um, you can get a lot of people projecting onto you. It was a lesson that I definitely really had to learn at the beginning. I took a lot of it very personal and I felt the need to fight back, but just through my experience with it and like realizing that people like hurt people hurt people like that's all that is people are just projecting and it's really not about me so for anyone listening if people around you are projecting their insecurities onto you it literally has nothing to do with you and everything to do with them so I had to really engrave that into my mind and just take those hate comments with a grain of salt but because of that I, I try to read all my comments just because I like to respond to a lot of people. But if, uh, especially with a video going absolutely viral, I think it has like almost 8 million views now. Like I get a lot of hate comments. Like that's just going to come with it. And I try not to like read through them. If I can gauge the first like two words that it's not going to be good. I'm like, I'm just not going to read this. <laughs> yeah. Is that something that just takes time? Or do you think, is there an active thing that you can do? I mean, nowadays with people blowing up so fast with their videos is there anything that you can consciously actively do to feel better about it so I think the biggest thing is just coming with experience I personally don't think that if you went from like 200 followers to like a hundred thousand in x amount of like let's just say two months that you're the very first couple hate comments you get that you're not going to be affected by it because you've never really experienced that. So I think that that really does come with experience. Now, down the line, it really just comes to if you are actually allowing it to affect you and dictate your actions. So an example is like a lot of people will allow those hate comments to stop them from creating more content because 
they don't want more hate comments, right? So it really comes down to not allowing that it to dictate your actions, because again, action equals results. Now, in terms of being consciously aware of it, I think that's, that's really what it comes down to is reading it and just reminding yourself, like, the biggest thing with thoughts is you're never not going to have negative thoughts. It is like human nature. We have a negative bias, a natural negative bias in the brain to be negative. So you're never not going to have negative thoughts. It really comes down to shifting and redirecting the negative thought. So if you have a thought of like, oh, what this person said about me is true, it comes down to being self-aware and consciously shifting it yourself and saying, no, this person's just projecting. I do know what I'm talking about. I am good enough or whatever it is type of thing. So that really, I think, just comes down to shifting it because over time, you're going to shift the neural pathway to align with the belief that like what people say about you isn't truth. So obviously you're a personal development coach. Do you have a lot of clients who are either, you know, on social media and get those hate comments or I guess what's your clientele typically like? So when I first started, it was definitely with entrepreneurs. And then when I started to shift more of my niche into self-love, I started getting people who weren't entrepreneurs. So it really depends. Like I've got two one-on-one clients right now. One is not an entrepreneur and one is an entrepreneur. So um, I have yet to deal with anyone who gets hate comments just because of the following size. And I don't mean that in a way of like, you're not legit if you don't have a big following. It's just that's what comes with having a bigger following is you get more hate comments because your stuff is being seen by more people. So I have yet to have a client that deals with hate comments, but my clientele is is really a mix. Do you find that there are underlying themes, even though your clients are different? A big thing is self-worth. Self-worth is something a lot of us we seek external validation for our worth. So especially as like maybe an entrepreneur, like being in the online space, you're going to put a lot of your value and your worth on the way that people are reacting and responding to your work. So I've definitely seen from like an entrepreneur perspective, a lot of the self-worth, but also safety and security and being who you are authentically, because being online, like you typically are faced with situations where You feel like you have to be a certain person in order to get the likes or get the comments or just to be liked. So definitely around that inner confidence and inner safety and security. But then that also ties into a lot of my clients who aren't entrepreneurs. And it's just, you know, shows up in different ways. Like maybe they can't make decisions without seeking validation from the people around them. So I really think, and this just all comes back to self-love. And this is why I really started to niche down on self-love because I started to see the importance that self-love plays in our inner peace, freedom, wealth, and happiness. But if it's inner, it's also going to reflect outer. So it's also the relationships that we have around us, the amount of money we can attract, like everything. So A lot of it from my clients, I really have seen it really come down to like self-worth, inner safety and security. What do you generally recommend? I mean, obviously you have to figure out and determine the root cause of where that seeking that validation is. I'm not sure if that root cause is similar for a lot of people or different, but what do you typically recommend for people when it comes to that? Yeah, inner safety and security. I really like to recommend nervous system regulation. So things like breath work, meditation, 
somatic shaking, just things that are going to help regulate your nervous system. Because a lot of the times if we're not feeling that inner safety and security, it can activate our sympathetic nervous system, which is the fight or flight mode. And when we are in fight or flight, we can't think clearly. Our brain is basically just wanting to self-sabotage whatever put you into fight or flight because it just wants to bring you back to a place of safety. And our dominant emotional state of being when we are not regulated is drastically affected. So I always do nervous system regulation with my clients and I suggest certain techniques for them to use. But that's a really big one because in order to achieve the things that you want to achieve or in order to just feel that like peace, freedom, and happiness, you really want to be regulated and you want to be operating in the parasympathetic nervous system. So that's something I've definitely noticed come up with inner safety and security is that fight or flight response. Um, So I always recommend nervous system regulation. Definitely. I had an episode with Kate Murphy and she talks a little bit about some of those specific practices as well. I'm sure you could go on and and share some of those practices that you find help. Uh, At the end of each of my episodes, I encourage the guests to create a challenge for anybody listening that relates to our conversation. So what would you recommend people do? So I'm going to come back to that gratitude list. This I'm just I so wholeheartedly believe in this because I've seen how much it has shifted my external reality and just my overall peace from a day-to-day basis. And it is the gratitude list. So I recommend you open up your notes app on your phone and you create a folder for gratitude list. And every single week you start a new gratitude list. And every time something happens that's good throughout the day, no matter how big or how small, write it down and express gratitude for it. Um, And then when something not so great happens, write it down, but shift the perspective. So as an example, like this happened a couple weeks ago, I ended up like losing $250. And I was like, well, this sucks. Well, guess I'm manifesting another $250. Like this is going to be fun. Like just shifting the perspective to what negatively just happened. And before you go to bed, read that list. And at the end of every week, read the entire list for the week. And then when a new week starts, create a new one, but save them all so you can go back. And anytime that you are in a moment of feeling like you are maybe struggling mentally with your thoughts or with whatever's happening, go through the list just to help shift your focus. Do you find that your lists have gotten bigger over the course of practicing it? I'm actually not going to lie. I think they got shorter. Mm. Why do you think that is? So I think near the beginning, I was just really trying to be consciously aware of doing it so I could start to dominantly shift the neural pathways to be from dominantly negative to dominantly positive. And as I started to shift the neural pathways, and obviously, like, I still have work to do, like, we're always going to have work to do. But as I started to shift them and started to notice that I really was just feeling a lot better on a day to day basis. I started picking it up less. I would never not do it because I think that, you know, with habits, like you do really need to maintain them. But I, yeah, oddly enough, I actually think it got a little smaller. Well, (laughs) because I'm grateful for less, but (laughs) yeah, not even that you're even noticing that you're grateful for less because you're still like once you create the habit, like you said, you might not be writing it down, but you might still be recognizing it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I love the idea of, starting a new one every week and specifically reading it when you are in that theta brainwave state and yeah so you can read it during theta brainwave but even just throughout the day just to read it because it's just going to help shift your focus that's the main point of it I love that challenge so much and I'll make sure to put that in and also I know 
people can find you on TikTok, Instagram, your website, where else can people find you if they want to hear more about your work or join any of your courses and things like that? That is really it. I'm super active on TikTok daily. My website has absolutely everything and I'm starting to become a little bit more active on Instagram. It's not my favorite app, but those are the three main places you can find me. Thank you. And thank you so much for for having this conversation with me. Thank you so much for having me. 